Mermani Press presents Neanderthal King by Matt Ward. More information on the author at mattwardwrites.com. You can purchase Neanderthal King in its entirety or download the entire audio masterpiece free with a free trial of Audible at neanderthalking.com. Want to follow along with Merrillick's adventure? For a limited time, grab your free illustrated map of Tarkal and the Six Kingdoms of Septum by visiting mattwardwrites.com slash map. Again, that's m-a-t-t-w-a-r-d-w-r-i-t-e-s dot com slash m-a-p. But now, let's get on with the adventure. Chapter 4. Cracking Footsteps That night, Freeman went in search of strumpets. The road had been long, and Rarkus was famed for its whoring and creamy cheeses. Most couldn't afford nutty guadiota, but a romp and night of dark ale suited the purse. Several guards went as well, insisting we were near enough to town to avoid raiders. Odanik, Tajek and I stayed up late well after saps sought their pansied beds. We'd slung around a handful of nothingness when Odanik lowered her voice. What would you lads say if we made a run for it? Was she nuts and risk a bolt to the back? I shook my head. No thanks. Bravery went so far. I'll not die like a hog. Odanik sighed. Tell me about hogs. Lifting these porker women... Onto their steeds. These ladies bought enough to clothe the village. If I hear about Isaac's marriage prospects or the latest El Guro's fashions once more. Shh! Someone hissed in the darkness beyond. My ears perked, and as one we spun. But there was nothing. Silence. A second later, another voice. Bringing those gird damned tall here. After all we've been through. Shh! A woody voice cut in. You'll wake him. I need the beads. My wife's with child again. Breath stilled as I balled my hands into fists, bent into a crouch. Which wagon? A third rasped. We'll rob them blind, kill the brutes, and make it look like the ninnies fought over the bounty. A heated argument before the group continued towards our dying embers, my heart raced as we stepped into shadows. Not fear, but anticipation. Hope. For Garrick always said, a true tall is never scared. This couldn't be fear. Ching! My pulse quickened. Shite! Crackling footsteps. They were close. There! One cried, eyes reflecting the fires of karma. He charged, as did his fellow brigands. Swords rose and I went left, Odanic right, and Tajek held his ground as a vicious rumbling echoed from his powerful chest. In the distance a dog snarled. Another growled, and I froze as angry panting spread, beasts racing towards us. Heart hammering, as I took a step back, why did it have to be hounds? And still the camp was quiet, an eerie ode to impending violence. And then clanging steel shattered the night. A sentry yelled. 
The camp erupted as the braided thug swung his short sword. Wind bristled my leg, but he scarce nicked me. He was no match save for his sword, but he used it well. I leapt up, backpedalling as he advanced. The dogs were on us, and the robber turned to flee. Creature sprang, teeth bared. From elsewhere, screams, and more smashing steel. The guard must have found them. The man fled, chicken-footed, when he shitted whore. I made to chase, but my legs spasmed, bleeding like a maiden from a gash along my calf. I staggered to the others. O'Danick had disabled her attacker. A rock filled the gaping hole in his face. She grinned beautiful fury and pounded her chest. She'd sleep well this night. At the next wagon, Tajek knelt over a fallen sap, put his hand on the man's bleeding shoulder. Why? he asked. The man's eyes narrowed and his mouth formed a spitting O. The snap of bowstrings from behind, a fallen slump as the bolt hammered his torso. Tajek looked up at the shadowy assailant, started to stand, mouth widening as the sentry's face appeared, crossbow leveled. He was all ready. The guard fired again. Tajik crashed to his knees. Another shot as the scoundrel emptied the fancy quiver into my friend. Collapsed in a ball of bloodied metal. The soldier spat on Tajik's lifeless body as uncertainty raged within me. He was too far to charge. Fear and rage held me motionless, heart shaking fury. Once he left, I rushed over. He wouldn't get away with this. But it was too late. Tajek never stood a chance. I'd have been a winnie shite. I could have, ought have. Maralek! Tajek, where are you? It was Odanik. She emerged and surveyed the situation. I told her, and her eyes darkened. Neither of us said anything. There was nothing to say. We must earth him, I said at last. She nodded. I'd ask Joseph about shovels in the morn. Fitful sleep with dreams of failure. Strange how it mirrored my storming inner world. I awoke in the dead of night. To add to its toll. Crept from the fire toward the outskirts of the camp and found a good-sized stone. Waited. The sentry didn't take long to make his rounds, milking regularity. I slammed my hand over his mouth and battered the back of his skull with the rock, again and again until his brain gunk spilled out for the crows and carrion. He'd rot in fucking karma, or whatever damnation his people honoured. Served him right. Back to bed, and able to sleep at last. All was right once more, and I sought out William the moment I stirred. He was red-faced and bleary-eyed, had been out with the lads for a right hearty time. I told him everything, somewhat. Didn't need to know about the guard. After pleading the importance to Joseph, Ferrand Mercer lent us shovels. I dug while Odanik carved the bore knuckles from two nights prior. By early morn we were ready. No one seemed to give a shite about the murdered mercenary. Justice. The earthing was a rush ceremony, overlooking one of the sap's hideous vegetable fields. Corn and cabbage and beans, shite no tall would touch. 
would that we could earth him elsewhere, but didn't have the time. No one offered words. I didn't know Tajek well, but had to speak. Who else would? He was a good man, a fighter and a friend. Wasn't sure what else to add. Seemed fitting. Good enough. He'd get his slumber. Soon on the road again. Foodstuffs restored. The brigand's word kept returning to haunt me. Rob him blind. Pin it on the tall. No honour, no worth. It was brilliant too, though. Doubted Joseph or William would have seen through the treachery. I wouldn't have. The next kingdom, Galon, was on the coast. King James had chosen well, or played his dice right, or however these saps chose their land. Couldn't be ancestry, not a single female king. Or maybe they just had sons. Another sciencing feat? We stopped a half day in Hohage, the wildest thing. A floating city, boats like zigzagging fish, every manner of food and spice and fabric, all the best quality. I'd have pocketed a few bacon slabs if honour hadn't stilled my hand. Lucky too, a young boy was caught, quarter hour later, stealing minced squirrel pie. The doughy baker with calves to make a maiden swoon motioned to the butcher. Eh, Robin! The ruddy butcher looked up, dropped the beef he'd been trimming, and grabbed a hefty cleaver. He carried it over and held the boy's screaming arm down. A passing noble nodded his powdered approval, and the baker swung with a terminal thud. A gripping shriek as the boy collapsed to the dusty earth. The baker yanked the lad to his feet, and the butcher hurried to the smithy. A white-hot sear crisped the bloodied stump. As passers-by continued on their way, so did we. We'd seen it all before. Chapter 5 A Howling Tale Another fortnight and we reached Boot, a beautiful threes day, not a cloud in the sky. The streets stank and sea shone as men and women of every age, colour and size hurried along busy, winding streets. Towering ships piled with merchants came and went, leased two or three at once in the great port. Salt and fish and civilization were in the air, even dark skins, black as night. Odanic couldn't stop staring. It must be paint. How could one's soul turn so dark? William laughed. Ah, Africa, you have no idea. Their cities and kingdoms rival any here in Tharkal. The land of fire, it's called. But surely not larger than Akaj, than Boot. I shook my head. Bull's eggs. Another chuckle. Immeasurably bigger. Isaac's lands and riches are nothing compared to those of Elguros, but enough dittle-dattle. We need to make a few stops. I turned after him, and a cart nailed my shin. Watch where you're walking, tall. A sweet-faced lady with houndish eyes snarled. The next man bulled into me as well, when I didn't move. Watch it, slave. William said nothing until we reached the baker's and slipped into the tiny doorframe. 
the baker shot us a glare as I peered at the absurdity of the fancily folded pastries. Seems like a lot of work if you eat it anyway. The fat man rolled his eyes and redoubled his price, sparring with William. They settled on three blue beads, and haggling concluded. William handed O'Danick and I hunks of cheese and a cheap beef pastry to split. Eat up. Big day ahead. We did, left the bake shop, and headed for the city centre. The main square was filled with merchants, performers, and chickens enough to feed a village. A fountain of some long-dead king, slaying a crown tall to one side. We made our way to a windowless building with bars on the door and armed guards at the ready. They drew their hilts a fraction before recognising William. He waved and they lowered their weapons to let us pass. Hook-nose knocked twice, waited once more. The heavy door creaked open to two more motionless guards before we were allowed to pass into a small, colourful room. Quiet men of varying ages around small tables counted beads, thumbed parchment. William approached a hairless man with a red tunic and quill, an odd counting device alongside him. He handed the bank a rolled vellum covered in scroll. The pale man squinted and eyed William. A withdrawal? William nodded. I deposited three hundred beads in a cage. The boiled egg of a man narrowed his eyes and asked several questions. William answered, and the banker relented, waving his slave boy to bring the debt. So, what of boot? William asked as we waited. The squinty teller shrugged. Rumour mills are turning, but what's chamber pottery and what's truth be mighty hard to tell. Supposedly Francis is considering war if William won't marry his youngest. It'll come down to terms, and whether Willie's wife grants the king a son. Times are riding a fiddle's edge if you catch my meaning. William nodded with a sombre sigh and took the opportunity to jump in. Anything of Isaac to the north? The man's eyes soured. And who'll that be, Tell? He's with me, William began. He's... The door to the bank burst open. Fire! Fire! Someone cried. The reaction was instantaneous. People left to their feet while bankers sprinted into the back, feet echoing as they ran to the vaults. Others surged for the crowded door, a shouldering slog to the exit. Sunshine and smoke as someone shoved us to daylight. Feet clattered and people screamed. Several tenements over, two thatched roofs blazed. People poured from smoking buildings and the ashen tavern master wrung his hands, contemplating his smouldering future. He and two others grabbed buckets and ran for the well, yelling. Three more followed. I grabbed O'Danick's hand for help. William called us back. Let others handle it. It's not our problem. We headed for port as the soaking roof collapsed, breaking the fire. People behind us rejoiced, praising their gods. William snickered and smiled to himself, caressing his pocket. The waterfront was buzzing with life, more dark skins than seemed possible, even a few far eastern tall, shorter and sturdier than us Tharkals, 
but with narrower eyes and lesser noses. The oddities were near hairless, even the men, wispy beards, if any. All were chained and manacled, clanking behind their masters, worse than street dogs. Some slouched, but most walked tall, shoulders high and eyes defiant, daring any to challenge them. But it was false honour. Their emaciated frames were in no shape for a fight. "'You'll find me a fair master,' William said, as we stopped to scrutinise the Easterners. "'Do as you're told, and you'll have a good life.' He gestured at the clanging labourers. "'But betray me, or fail me? I didn't get here by herding sheep, or singing the hymns.' O'Danick and I nodded amidst envious eyes from the shackled, destined for who knew what horrors. We passed the sheriff's post, a hunched carpenter sanding a table and chairs, and turned to a small home set back from the busy street with a shop behind it. Smoke billowed overhead and clouded the air with a familiar burnt crisp as William knocked once and entered. Nothing fancy, but a home nonetheless. A birchwood table and chairs made the cramped space seem larger. A bed in the corner, covered in clothes and such. There was a small fire in the surprising fireplace. Several eye-catcher paintings on the wall as well. That made me do a double-take. Seemed out of place. Dorek, you there? yelled William. Out back we heard a grunt and headed around. I ought to have known, William said, as the smithy came into view. Dorek, that you? Aye, William. A statued man with a filthy hammer and face emerged from behind a makeshift wall, sweating from the heat of the forge. Mangy black hair and carved stone features to match his vicious hands. He looked up and the shock impaled me. A tall? William stepped forward and offered a hand and a hug. Dorek, my friend. The big tall chuckled, a booming laugh that warmed my soul. What'll it be this time? He shook William's hand as if it was nothing and returned to his work. William had to fight to keep the should-be slave's attention. He lifted a half-hammered whinny shoe as if interested. Swords, shields, how fast can you produce them? He asked. Doric examined a rod, blackened fingers running the edge with a relaxed mastery. How many, and what quality? Be these for kings, knights, peasant folk? At least two hundred, nothing noble or fancy, enough to cut down a rogue, not mount on a mantle. Doric pursed his fat lips, thinking. Three or four moons, he said at last. I ought to be ready by then, but I've other work as well, he gestured to the winnie shoes William had been holding. The work I'd wished my entire life, before it all went to shite, would that I could be his apprentice, or to any smith. Shook my head to clear the rubble, as a crude smile crossed William's face. You'll be wanting a higher commission then, hey? Doric's lips twitched but said nothing. Fine, William said in a jesting snarl. 
twenty percent above your usual rate. Fair? The tall grinned, and shook in the tall way, forearms locked, in an honest bind. A true man's man. After a few words of the kingdom to the north, we left Doric hard at work. But I couldn't help myself. We'd gone about half a field when it bubbled out of me. A tall? A craftsman? Best in all of boot, Doric is. So good, other smiths won't let him in the guild, him being a tall and all. A greedy grin. A master smith's skill at a bead a blade. That, my boy, is a deal. But something smelled off. How's he allowed to open shop? A slave? Course not. Normally. But Doric's that good. King Francis needed a blade some passings back. Went through three pissant smiths to get it. Had to be divine. Someone recommended Doric. Three moons later, ugly brute handed Francis the finest sword at a wiener's ever seen. Doric's been free and full since. My mind raced as we strode busy streets. The impossibility of it all. A free tall? A master smith at that? Churning butter as my brain wheels spun. A quick check with the harbour master. No change. Borin was still due to arrive in three days. All was well on the high seas, or had yet to be reported. Good, good. Keep me informed. Then on to the nameless inn. A seedy place. Surprise, surprise. You have been listening to Neanderthal King by Matt Ward. For more information on purchasing the complete epic fantasy adventure, or to download the entire audio masterpiece free with a free trial of Audible, visit neanderthalking.com.